0: Overthinking It podcast episode 40. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host mark lee this is the overthinking it podcast the podcast of the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve um i hope everyone had a wonderful spring day at least here in the northeast where most of us are broadcasting from uh the sun was out the clouds were gone the the you know as superman gets his his power restored by the power of, a, of the yellow sun so were we so <laughs> well, uh, so were you? <laughs> is that was that not the case in uh, in Boston? Our two Bean Town boys, Pete Fenzel and John Perrot, are also on the on the podcast. How are you guys doing? Oh, pretty great, pretty great. Doing lovely. Yeah. So, wait, so it wasn't all flowers and, and, and springtime and, and birds. No, it was it was that we it just, totally
1: was we just hate sunlight. Yeah, <laughs> I spent the day detoxing from coffee because I'm trying to cut my coffee addiction. So I spent most of my day like in bed with a horrible headache, like kind of twitching, like like I was in train spotting or something,
0: oh, um,
1: and and sleeping deeply, sleeping. But I'm I'm totally clean now, so that's good.
0: Okay, well, speaking of <laughs> speaking of totally clean, uh, <laughs> no, this is no segue for this. Really, what can, what else going to say? But I wanted to just stick it off the overthinking it with uh, one of the big pieces of news item, which was the uh, the villainous Kim Jong Il. And North Korea, dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> up to trouble again, launching their satellite there, or attempting to, they, they did a missile, a rocket test launch in defiance of the UN, the US, the UFC, the UCC, uh, and every and other UCLA, international, yeah. <laughs> uh, UCLA as well, uh, in defiance of every international institution that you could possibly imagine, they fired a big bad test rocket up, um, and North Korea propaganda, uh, I don't know if the listeners are familiar with this, but uh, they tend to make incredibly ridiculous statements. Like Kim Jong Il, um, you know, landed twenty uh, three pointers in a row in the North Korean champion, uh, basketball championship league. Uh, Kim Jong Il, uh, you know, uh, number one crisis and StarCraft player on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, those sorts of claims they often make. So, um, all international observers basically said that the you know they tested the rocket. Um, it didn't make it into orbit In other words, there was a payload on the rocket It didn't make it into orbit um, So therefore, it was a failure, but it was still a test um, North Korean propaganda, however Said that you know, the, the, the communication satellite Is in orbit and is broadcasting successfully So what I want to ask the overthinking it panel Is what do you think Kim Jong-il's North Korean space satellite Would be broadcasting if it had actually Made it up in the air successfully And in first in alphabetical order Again from Beantown is Peter Fensel. What do you think?
1: I'm gonna think that it's doing the. It's gonna be broadcasting the 1985 Golden Globe Award-winning miniseries North and South, starring Patrick <laughs> Swayze and Kirstie Alley, uh, because you know that's really they really uh, Kim Jong Il is a huge fan of of classic DVD material. I believe he has the world's largest DVD collection, right? Um,
0: that's what I hear, and you know, and yeah, uh, he's also a fantastic actor himself. Oh, that's true. Although
1: <laughs> not even North Korean propaganda says that Kim Jong Il is a better actor than Patrick Swayze, so that would—that's uh, th- probably why they're broadcasting it to, as a sort of beacon of hope to everybody else around the world. That you know everybody can one day have a DVD collection as big as Kim Jong il
0: So, is North and South—is <laughs> that—is that, is that uh, based on what the American Civil War, or is it actually on the, about the, the Korean Peninsula?
1: Oh no! It's it stars uh, Kirstie Alley and it's and Patrick Swayze and it's actually about Korea. No, it's about the American Civil War. <laughs> it's not. About, it's not about Korea. It would be pretty funny if it were about Korea, and it would follow up the proud tradition of never casting people of the same ethnicity in Asian roles in uh, movie and television. Yeah,
0: so. that doesn't bother me at all.
1: Oh, it doesn't. You're not, not bothered all, by like no. the upcoming Dragon Ball movie with the white guy as Goku, or and like
0: by by doesn't bother me at all. I mean, like it kind of bothers me. Um, or like
1: Avatar but, being played by a white kid.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking of as well too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, well, I, I gotta save my rage these days for other uh, for other things. Speaking of, of, this is a bit of a segue. I don't know if uh, either you guys heard about this, but there was a little bit of a minor web tizzy over a Yale acapella group, um, a cappella group doing a a apparently a poorly executed parody of all the single ladies, the Beyonce song. Um, oh, called All the, All the Single Asians Okay hear about this?
1: No, apparently I don't read about bullshit enough on the internet so- <laughs> <laughs> you should, you uh, should, Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> you, should, you should keep it that way Okay, uh, and I should keep my language clean Because we want to be a clean podcast The family so show, I'm just, right? Family I'm just saying show.
0: nonsense Yeah um, Let's move on to uh, Mr. John Parrish uh, John, what do you think the North Korean satellite is broadcasting now as we speak?
2: Uh, well, I have inside information that it's broadcasting uh, the the great leader's uh, debut rap album, uh, Kim Jong Ilmatic. Ah. <laughs> nice, uh, which which has actually already received uh, five mics from uh, from the Pyongyang source, uh, <laughs> as as well as as well as every other reputable rap magazine in uh, North Korea, uh, all of which are published by the the People's uh, Ministry of Hip Hop. Uh, which is run by Kim Jong il.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, is he threatening to use nuclear weapons at the source awards? Because that would pretty much be in line with how that stuff usually works.
2: <laughs> it's it's really an issue of escalation. Like as as soon as as soon as Exhibit and Juvenile started and as soon as the East Coast West Coast <laughs> thing broke out, I mean it was only a matter of time before someone someone brought outlawed
0: uh outlawed weapons.
2: I don't
0: know, north side, south side conflict? Ugh. Are there We're any th- South
1: Korean rappers who can
0: challenge Kim Jong Il to a rap battle?
2: Uh, if you believe North Korean
0: propaganda, no, <laughs> there are no rappers in the world that can that could challenge Kim Jong Il.
2: Man, right? Uh, but I, I would I would submit that there are probably
0: several. Okay,
1: you I, need I don't to know. Find them. <laughs>
0: just you know don't they just oh, yes, oh definitely. <laughs> they're, they're they're my people, you know. And if there's anything you know about. If there's anything you can extrapolate about South Koreans from knowing me, it's that we're very good at hip-hop.
1: And you all have rich southern accents.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: <And> <laughs> I, I, I feel safe in extrapolating that, yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: And uh, my guess for what the, the North Korean uh, communication satellite would be broadcasting is... Uh, my understanding is that, you know, again, kind of going back to the the class, the, the, the Kim Jong-il's massive movie DVD collection, is that... Um, you know, He's a purportedly a big fan of classic movies, so it's probably something – some sort of like Catherine uh, Hepburn or Greta Garbo, um, 1950s black-and-white movie.
1: So kind it's like the loop. Philadelphia story that's being broadcast by a North Korean spy satellite all over the world all the time? <laughs> yeah. <so that's- laughs> I, can, I can believe that. So I the, can believe so that. The leader she's can so sad. She's in the... trousers. She's wearing trousers and she's a woman. How iconoclastic yeah. is that?
0: <laughs> and the purpose of this is that so when the deer leader is traveling to any one of the four countries in the world where he's allowed <laughs> to travel, uh, you know, he can tune his satellite. Yep. Uh, you know, now is the issue whatever, allowed, is
2: accident. the issue he's is allowed to travel there or allowed to return from traveling there? It's a fine distinction, very fine distinction. Probably both. Well, I was—I was, I was going to say. I mean, I would imagine the U.S. wouldn't mind him showing up. They just wouldn't let him leave again.
0: Uh, uh yes, good point. Sorry. Splitting hairs, splitting hairs. I apologize. Yes. Uh, uh, speaking of splitting hairs, <laughs> <laughs> here come the podcast. <laughs> speaking of splitting hairs, uh, you know we're splitting parts of the body. That's what doctors do. And you know what else doctors do? <laughs> this is a real stress of a, of a segue here. Uh, Reach got- for it. Reach for it. You're almost there. Yeah. You're almost there. <laughs> That's what doctors do, and Second effort. Doctors, Second effort. Doctors often appear in hospital TV shows, and a very notable <laughs> hospital TV show has uh, made its exit this week and is no longer part of the uh, actively produced popular culture. That's right, ER. After, uh, how many, after how many years? you years land, later? stuck can, the landing. Stuck can, the landing. Can, I like it. Yeah. Can, any, can, can anybody get a, uh, a number of seasons? That 150
1: ER was years of ER has been on
0: television.
2: No, <laughs> in other words, no, no.
0: Not as many years as Kim Jong il has been producing television, right? It started
1: yeah. in 1994.
2: I mean, lo, lo, to put it in perspective, uh, ER, uh, by necessity, predates George Clooney being a Hollywood icon.
0: Right. That, that was that. Was that George Clooney's? Uh, yeah, because obviously
2: it was. It was the show that put him on the map. Wow. But I mean, it, it. It's so by definition it does, but it also just put it in perspective. It's like, wow, when was George Clooney not an icon? Just think of it.
1: 50 just yeah, years think, ago. Think about it this way: when ER started. John Stamos was a huge icon, and George Clooney was some no-name guy who was on ER. And when the show ended, George Clooney was a huge icon, and John Stamos wasn't nobody who was on ER.
0: Uh, let, the, let the circle be unbroken. Yeah, exactly. So, so here's what I want to talk about in terms of ER. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I've ever actually seen an episode of this. Um, well, but, it's
1: pretty. It's there's a hospital. <laughs> they have people who are hurt, and they yeah. heal.
0: So, I, I want to talk about get to the hospital shows in general in a moment, and why I you know don't watch them. Uh, but offensively, uh, I understand that you've seen at least some of ER. Uh, yeah, I don't know, John, if you've seen I, I... some ER as well, or the finale. Uh, I don't believe I've ever watched uh, ER. I'm sorry. Okay, and the uh, overthinking it listeners who are just dying to hear their um their ER. Uh, finale super analysis are turning off now. Uh, no, no, no. I can no, super <laughs> analyze it. I can super analyze them it. Bring him back. Hold okay. them on. Hold them
1: on. So, the thing that Take I really love about the ER finale is that it's like any hospital experience, right? It seems like you're there forever, and it just keeps going and going, and eventually you lose track of time. But at some point, there's a glorious moment where you get discharged, and you get to leave. And I really think that's what the, the hospital, the finale of ER, really managed to capture. was go. this sense of, like, every, you sort of look up, and you're like, oh, wait, oh, I'm still here? Oh, they called my name? Oh, oh, I get to go? Oh, great. Um, as somebody who spent some time in a hospital recently... Um, it's it's, uh, pretty, it's a pretty cool feeling when you're reminded that not only are you in a place where something's supposed to be done other than you sitting in a chair and waiting, but also when they tell you that you get to go. So I feel like that, that's really, <laughs> if I were to say what the season finale of ER is about for me, it's about the pleasurable and satisfying experience of leaving a dysfunctional hospital where you've been for entirely too long. Was, was the hospital,
0: <laughs> was the hospital predict, pre- depicted in the ER particularly dysfunctional? Oh
1: no, the hospital in ER is actually really good, um, especially relative to the hospitals in other places. I mean, it's what is it? Uh, Count County General in Chicago is supposed to be where it is, I believe, right? And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, the ER doctors are all good at their jobs. Uh, I mean, it's uh, Michael Crichton inspired it, and all the people in Michael Crichton movies are really accomplished people scientifically and professionally. Like Jurassic Park isn't full of shitty paleontologists who are all like, "Oh man, I think dinosaurs evolved from monkeys," and this like
0: that's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's got that kid <laughs> that knows eunuchs.
1: Yeah, I mean, oftentimes he has people who has a lot of irrelevant skills, and then because of their irrelevant skills, have like false conceptions about how the world works. Like in Sphere, I think one of them is like a champion uh, macrame artist. No, that's not true. But like they bring in some sort of cognitive science specialist and un- un- incapable of really comprehending the alien object. But yeah, characters in Michael Crichton inspired properties tend not to have a shortage of skill at, at what at least they do in their off time. So yeah, no, no, definitely differently from, say, Scrubs, where you get the sense that the Doctors are kind of trying and screwing up a lot. Um, ER, the Doctors are usually pretty good, and when they screw up, they take it very seriously. So Mm -hmm. at least I only watched the first, like, few seasons back when it was on after Seinfeld, um, back in the day of must-see TV, when TV became optional – I pretty much stopped watching ER <laughs> along with the rest of America. But back when it was mandatory, who boy? Who <laughs> boy? I do love ER, does have one award for me, though, which is best pre show credit moment. Uh, because I love the moment in the opening credits to the first few seasons of ER, or a bunch of seasons of ER, where Eric LaSalle does fist pump. You know, where he, like, he, there's one of the doctors who, like, he's a surgeon, and there's one shot in the uh, opening credits where he goes down on one knee and he, like, does his, like, kung fu fist pump, which is totally <laughs> I remember awesome. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: celebration I... of something? Like, he just sewed someone up real good? Yeah, I believe well, no, so. That's just know. what he does when he gets up in the morning.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's just, like, channeling his chi. I mean,
0: that's, that's <laughs> yeah, what I do when I get up in the morning. Um, uh, it's like, so- yeah. another
2: day on this great planet. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> um, great. So here's what I want to – at least what I want to talk about with regards to ER is what – because I don't watch – not only do I not watch ER, I just don't watch hospital shows, period. Uh, just name it. Grey's Anatomy, House – what have you. Um, to me, the thing that has always just puzzled me is that pretty much everyone I know has very negative associations with hospitals. It's a place you don't want to go. Maybe, sure, you know, the people we know that are doctors and nurses go to the, you know, if they like their job. They like going to the hospital. Um, but for the rest of us, you go to the hospital for bad things when somebody you know is sick or when you are sick or ill or injured. Um, and my thought is always, Why do people always want to keep seeing this and wanting to go back to this terrible place that is a hospital? You know, whereas, you know, something, uh, you know, more escapist like, well, science fiction or a, you know, a swank apartment in New York City, for example. Those are places people want to go in television. So why is it that we keep going back to the hospital? On yeah, I mean, I, shows.
1: I, I, mean, I hate, I hate going to hospitals, but I love being the victim of gang violence, which is why I
0: watch the shows that I watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of along those lines, like right? prison shows, right? Why are prison? Yeah. what Why is what's the popular prison shows? But going back to the hospital thing. Well, uh, if I had to guess,
2: if I had to guess, I would say one of the reasons hospital shows are popular is, uh, because you know people, people like drama, people like tension, and the setting of a hospital. It's very easy to to script tension and drama. Just uh, a you know insert some some disease or emergency or crisis. Uh, B you know there's the there's the understood subtext in America of you know limited resources. So you know there's only so many nurses and doctors and crash carts and and stat whatever that is they call for to go around. Uh, and C you know there's you get to throw in a little soap opera-level dynamic between the various staff, and that can complicate things. And and really, the show almost writes itself. At least I would imagine. Having zero Hollywood scriptwriting experience, I, I have to believe that this show is easy to write.
1: Yeah, I mean, from a sort of basic standpoint, it's got some great <coughs> things that you want to have in any kind of mass entertainment. The stakes are always high. There's always life or death that's going on, right? The people involved... Um, I, this is something that is a pet peeve of mine but has been proven over the centuries to being fairly effective in getting people to watch good stuff, which is that these are people who are high status in society. They're like desirable people. They're professionally successful people. When they fall, they fall from great heights. When they succeed, they succeed immensely. And people like to watch people who impress them. You know, mm-hmm. it, It's something heroic about it. Um, and then also it's, it lends itself very well to an episodic structure right? Um, because the things in hospitals, they tend to start and go for a certain period of time and then stop. Um, whereas a lot of other jobs, I mean, when you think about checking out, going through an ordeal and then, or checking in, going through an ordeal and checking out, that's perfect for TV, right? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And I guess you could also say that's probably why there are a lot of hospital TV shows, but comparably fewer hospital movies, um, like like relative to the total amount of number of movies that are made there are many many more tv shows and tv episodes especially among like the top most watched ones um that involve doctors than there are movies because in you know the things that doctors are doing are not as interesting for the movie audience because the doctor's job is never done Right, the doctor just yeah. has to keep working until they retire, um, and and a given day they're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff that they've done on previous or future days. That's great for TV, not so good for movies. Um, yeah. So yeah, Very
0: yeah, yeah, so, good point. Yeah. Let me let me uh, These are all these are all good points. Let me offer a, a, a I guess a slightly twisted and different uh, explanation for why po- how hospital shows are popular. Is that people <laughs> have a uh, subconsciously have a kind of a sadomasochistic desire to relive uh, horrible experiences maybe that they've even seen themselves for example uh, cancer patients whether we in the hospital seen a lot of that in real life and see those in the hospital shows as well mm-hmm. anybody buy this
1: well, I don't know. I mean – well, this is interesting and specifically with regards to ER because over the course of ER's run, near to the beginning of the show, there were a lot more experiences that the audience would be able to identify with. And one of the criticisms of the show as that went on is that the medical emergencies got to the point of ridiculousness, right? And it's like, oh my god, the chemical plant blew up and we have like a million people that are coming to the hospital and there's also a terrorist attack and all this other stuff.
0: So it's like – in uh, other words, like the, uh, the, the, the effects of sci-fi made-for-TV movie plots – we're starting to spill over into the uh, into the. Oh, I don't room.
1: think it was sci-fi. I think, I mean, it was just really outlandish, over-the-top hospital plots. I think it was like a post-9/11 world kind of adaptation. But also, it was the kind of thing where they wanted to compete against the other shows and they wanted to up the ante. So, um, I mean, I don't know. When I was younger and didn't have as much experience going to see sick people, I don't know if I enjoyed hospital shows less than I do now. Certainly, you could see that people are being masochistic about it. Even without the preconceived notion of what they did before uh, if you know if that makes sense you know what I mean
2: man yeah. I, I guess it's I guess it's partly a question of which which hospital show or which sort of hospital show do you like because as we uh, as we alluded to before there are, there are a bunch of different hospital shows on the air currently which have which have very different theme, which have very different styles and thrust to them, there's, there's ER which was kind of, you know, crisis of the week plus, you know, some recurring backstory with the, uh, the recurring characters um, then, you've got, then you've got house, for instance, which is, which is it's also sort of crisis of the week, but it's more about the, the problem solving than about the, the ratcheting up and then ratcheting down of tension
0: mm-hmm. uh, then you've got scrubs it's also about the eccentricity of the main character
2: Oh yeah, well, it, it's primarily about you know House and and the various flunkies he surrounds himself with. Uh, you've also got Scrubs, which is which is pure you know personalities driven with a sort of you see to me moral at the end. Uh, I don't know where to w- go w- with it. W- hey, here's here's here's
1: a, here's a little trivia question for you: mm-hmm. the longest running Hollywood produced television show. In the world, like, the longest-running show that has been produced by Hollywood that is currently on television is a hospital show. What is it? And how long has it been running?
0: Wait, is it currently running?
1: The, cur- the longest-running television show, period. Like, other than something like uh, New York News Broadcast or oh, something. Oh,
0: like. General Hospital, lo- right? Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: General Hospital has been running oh, since God, 1963. One. It has 11,778 episodes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> 11,778 episodes of this show. So, talk about getting some mileage out of a premise. But, yeah, man, that thing's been going since, like, when our parents were children. Um, like, my mom was 11 when this show came out. My sister used to watch it religiously. So, uh,
0: you know. So, let, me, let me ask a different question. So, uh, you know, if we think about these different types of, of hospital shows, right now, there's, you know, you throw um, soap opera. Onto that mix now. Uh, Hmm. Let's think back to our our youths and Doogie Howser, M.D. (laughs) Yeah, because you know it's probably been a long time since a lot of us have seen this. But um, what was like the highest level of of the hospital trauma or like medical direness that Doogie Howser, M.D. ever encountered?
1: Oh gosh, that's a tough question. As far as I, I mean, I think he was in the hospital, right? What 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 kind of specialist
0: was he? He was like E.N.T. No. (laughs) he was obgyn yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) well i I was going to say if if we if we expanded out to not just times when he was you know in the hospital then i i I guess you know that that first time he he made love to a a sweet nurturing woman uh that would be the that that would be the most most dramatic (laughs) quote-unquote medical experience of uh of of his life, wait, I, wait, I say that's fair.
0: Did, did Doogie Howler cash in his V card in the show in the course of the show? Oh yeah, that was a huge deal. That was a huge deal.
1: Yeah, they advertised the heck out of it. I remember. <laughs> yeah, did she? Was she? Was she in a wheelchair or blind or something? Whoa! Or? <laughs> oh no, that was another episode. Well, it it, uh, it was sensual, Pete. Let's
2: stress that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's <that's> true. <laughs> <laughs> he is the doctor uh, of love. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, ER not on not on not on the air anymore. What are uh, so? What is the reigning champion of of hospital drama shows now? Is Grey's Anatomy still on the air? Uh, yeah, Grey's uh, still, yeah, on. It's still on. I mean, know, Scrubs been- is also still on, and but you know, kind of on the verge of being canceled at any at any given moment, as most quirky shows that appeal to a, a more niche nerdy audience are.
1: I mean, I think I think House is probably the sort of reigning ER derivative because um, there's been a lot, right? I think House is probably the like. Um, procedural doctor show that people yeah. most think of when they think of procedural doctor shows um, and I think it probably has is held in the highest esteem although something like General Hospital may have run for a little longer like say 40 years longer <laughs> um, and something like Grey's Anatomy may probably be watched by more people per episode um, but it's you know House is going to have a lot of legs in syndication forever and ever and it's, it's uh, I hear that it has a very special episode coming up so that's what I was taught when I was watching 24 on Fox On Demand. They're like, every once in a while, there's an episode, every season, there's one episode that defies words. It's like, this, this is that episode. It was just showing all these pictures of the house people about to talk and not say anything. It's <laughs> 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 yeah. like, they don't talk at this one. It's totally silent. Yeah, so- they, they,
2: have, they have that weird disease that, that was on that one episode of Buffy where nobody can speak. Mm, yeah. <laughs> was that true? Did they do one of those? On Buffy? Yeah. Uh so I've heard. I've never watched an episode of the show.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Well, just hand me your overthinking a card now. K- so Doogie Doogie, Doogie okay. Hauser was
1: Doogie Hauser was a trauma surgeon <laughs> later in, really? in the show, so I'm sure he had a lot of opportunity to do all sorts of crazy stuff. Wow. Um the show was intended to be ended with a season-long story arc for Doogie, where he becomes disaffected with the practice of medicine and quits medicine to become a writer. But then they canceled the show, so we didn't get a chance to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: ABC abruptly canceled the show due to low ratings, preventing Bochco. Steven Bochco, wow.
2: That was the yeah, guy who... You, uh, you couldn't see, see Bochco's fingerprints all over that from a mile away?
1: It's been a long time, man. It's been a long time, but it totally, it totally makes sense in retrospect. True. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me kind of wrap up the uh the, the ER conversation um with uh, posing this question. You know, if if ER if you put it in a general category of, you know, dramas about work places.
1: Oh yeah, right? that's a great category. What, um
0: so what what common workplaces are n- not made into T V serials that should be? I mean if you <laughs> consider uh, you know, obviously we have law dramas. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, the occupation of being on a spaceship has been, you know, serialized in Star Trek several times. <laughs>
2: I think you're stretching the genre just a little bit. No, it, my, it, my fa- my... <laughs> it'd be neat to see that though. I mean, just sort of like a like a, like a dated and wait, I've got it. That's that's one for our, our trip to Hollywood for our pitch meeting, you know. Office meets Star Trek.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the uh yeah. The, the, wasn't this a, a, a previous episode we were talking about? Um, the there was some show. I think the art the, the actor actor who plays Chandler before Friends was uh, there was in like a three episode, very short lived program about baggage handlers at like a futuristic starport.
1: Yeah, Matt was talking about this. It was canceled very promptly, right? I believe it was. And yeah, I yeah, why. yeah. You know what? I would love to have seen. I, there's this show on TV that my mom really loves uh, it's over now I think but it's called Men in Trees um, and I watched that show once it's an it's a Anna Hesse show about basically older women trying to get with burly outdoorsy sensitive men in Alaska um, <laughs> and I really was hoping that there would be more work in, in more parts of the show involving people actually in trees like, <laughs> like, tr- like tree surgeons or like people who are conducting forestry work uh, stuff like that because I feel like that would be interesting um, the, people just like hanging out, like hanging out because they, they hitch themselves up with those harnesses and they go way up in the tree and they like do stuff with the tree to see if it's healthy and like they check it out. And like that would be, like, be awesome to watch just like them talking as they're hanging hundreds of feet above the air. Maybe that would be more that, of a movie. That would have been uh,
0: more true to the title, Men in Trees, when in rea- uh, yeah, reality it's it more about better. the women who are going after men who are occasionally in trees.
2: Yeah, it was I more about how be, like – A yeah. little too on the nose really like, oh, okay, I get it. Men <laughs> in trees.
1: I'm from the snakes on a plane generation, man. What do you want from me? <laughs> I like it when the title and the log line give you a really clear idea of what to expect. So, yeah, we have a lot of lawyers. We have a lot of cops. We have a lot of doctors, a lot of that stuff on the show. There's a lot of shows about people in TV or in movies. Um, and I don't know. It would be There's a fair number of shows about – uh, that have been done over the years about sort of family people who either like run small businesses or something like that. I don't know. That would be cool. A show about somebody who like runs like a dry cleaner or like a, a hardware store. Um, there's probably been no, no shortage of sitcoms that have used that as some sort of framing device, but like I'd love to watch a show about like somebody sort of struggling in a mid sized city to keep like their dry cleaner open. They could be um, Korean too. Yeah, and it wouldn't just be a B plot in like an episode of The Shield. Or of the Sopranos, where like the mafia shows up and is like, uh, "We're going to shut you down," and he's like, "No, I can pay." No, like actually, you know, because I think like entrepreneurship is something that is underrepresented in our culture relative, uh, our our visual and an auditory culture relative to how it's represented in like our economic culture. Um,
2: we, there aren't as many of those anymore. I'm trying to think, and I should pull up IMDb and check. But has there, has there been a a prime time? broadcast tv or or mainstream cable channel uh series set uh set in the army or in the armed forces uh since i'm probably missing one since china beach when was china well
1: beach? there there was the there was the um generation kill but that was not really right a, yeah
2: and and that's, there was that's band it. of brothers which was different yeah. um that's HBO, but I'm yeah. tr- I'm I'm thinking just like a like a regular you know forty eight minute you know NBC CBS or ABC just because you, you had you had a bunch back in the day you had combat you had Mash yeah. you had uh, you had a handful of those just and it it seemed it seems like the sort of thing like we were talking about the the plot requirements of a of a hospital series it seems like the sort of thing that could easily be handled there'd be like a, a mission of the week there's the recurring characters and their backstory. Uh... You know, it, oh, you know it, what there
1: was? There was <laughs> there was Jag, um, which was a, yeah no, which was like a lawyer show in in the Air Force, right?
2: <laughs> right. And it went on
1: forever. Yeah, that was a fun yeah. time.
2: And, and and there's and there's NCIS in in the same vein. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I was thinking more, you know, something something actually set, you know, set at the point of conflict. Mm-hmm. I, I I think we I think we might not see one of those for a while because you know the U.S. still being involved in at least a couple wars it might still be a little fresh, yeah. but maybe maybe in like five years ten years we might we might see more uh, exploring that vein. Like
1: yeah. we'll see we'll see a Stifler is in a TV show about a bunch of guys in Iraq.
0: You know what, yeah. we, what we really what we really need is uh, a Hogan's hero for a new generation. You know, like something set in uh, Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> you mean like Holden Harold and Kumar that, okay. Escape
1: from Guantanamo Bay? I said there, there's a serialized TV show where the prisoners. No, you mean a whole prisoners... TV show of Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay? Well, no, did whole, you watch you know, Harold and Kumar Escape from
0: Guantanamo Bay? I haven't seen uh, it actually. To be honest, <laughs> I don't think I didn't either. I don't think anybody did. But that's not the point.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: I, I'm, I'm, pitching, I'm pitching this one as soon as this podcast is over. I'm taking this one to. Uh, to all my, you know, lucrative entertainment contact. Yeah. contacts. I mean,
1: the, the closest thing there is probably 24, right? Um, yeah. It a Prime show that's a, but it's not about a foreign military, really, you know? It's about domestic right. military. It's
0: also not about a, the, the regular armed forces, as it were. Well, that's true. You that's know? true. If, if Jack Bauer is the definition of irregular, in terms <laughs> yeah, of... Yeah, He is, he is but it's an armed def- force himself, and he's quite a regular. It's, it's definitely it's- the... Yeah. Oh,
1: uh, you go ahead, Pete. I was saying, well, it's the, definitely the military drama of the War on Terror is what 24 is, or became. You know, it was like, yeah. that was how people were thinking about the role of military force in the world at the time that it was being made, and that was sort of the representation that came about. You don't, you don't see, I mean, so I don't think it's necessarily off the mark in terms of being part of that tradition, although it isn't at all funny, or like part of like Slice of Life. Although it is no. pretty, I mean, it is funny. I don't know how much of it is on purpose. But uh, For uh, something
2: more in that vein, uh, there's, there's that CBS series, The Unit, which I believe is still on. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, that that actually is, you know, explicitly military, not uh not paramilitary or, or law enforcement or extra governmental rogue agents, uh, whatever you want to call Jack. Um uh, that is We don't have time that is, for that right now. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Where's the bomb? Tell me where the bomb is. It's heading forth on the oh, never mind. I can't even do it. But no But, uh, you- but yeah, it's it's got uh uh what uh why am I blanking on his name? He he was the pres he was President David Palmer on Twenty Four. Uh, Dennis Haysburg.
1: Oh, Serrano, Serrano want to bet. Right?
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, Dennis, Dennis <laughs> Haysburg. He's he's the he's the commanding officer of the unit. That's uh, another
1: and- Major League reference. That's two in- weeks in a row. I'm oh, sorry. There's a fan of the podcast who likes when we mention Major League, so I've been trying to pepper the podcast with Major League references.
2: But continue, continue. If 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 we get ad revenue every time we mention it, I'll work it in every week.
0: Anyway, we, got, continue. Yeah, we got to set up on those Amazon referral links so that uh, all of our uh, our droves of fans will start purchasing major copies of the Major League DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, I, I think if we can sell some Major League Three, we'll get some uh, some real kickbacks because no one's
0: buying <laughs> that one.
2: So we'll, we'll we'll get it on the ground floor.
0: <laughs> They're overstocked in those. We got to clear those out.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, makes... yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, the unit uh, also oddly enough produced by David Mamet, which is which is interesting. He uh, he oh, wrote. I, she really watched that yeah he wrote a couple of the early episodes and you can uh, I watched almost all of the first season of it and I, I realized pretty early on that he wasn't writing all of the episodes much to my disappointment because you can you can pretty much tell like when when someone is speaking that unique dialect of English which is David Mamet, and when someone's speaking the way normal human beings talk uh, and, and, and it was there was a pretty clear switch being flipped after the after the first couple episodes Um it's interesting, a, a, little, a little soap opera-y at times, a little on the nose, but the, uh, you know, the, the action and the, the counter-terrorist, uh, counter-intel work is, is pretty interesting. So.
1: You know, and, and also just um, so that we all learn something today, the one thing I'll call upon our listeners to do from here on out is to remember the guy we're talking about, the guy from uh, 24 who was the president and who was Serrano, the actor's mm-hmm. name is Dennis Haysbert. Dennis, Haysbert. and I, I feel like he comes up in conversation often enough as a cultural reference. That it's about time that we start transitioning away from calling him that guy and start using his real name. Uh, maybe Indeed. I'm premature on this, but Dennis Haysbert. Dennis uh, Haysbert. Maybe. Yeah. Impress your friends. Impress your friends with your knowledge of who Dennis Haysbert is, and uh, See, also so you don't have to say on...
0: not just oh that the, the that guy who played the black president on 24. Yeah, and there, yeah, not just it, guy who's that's like... how everybody refers to him, right? <laughs> The guy, See the, the guy in my commercials. <laughs> in my mind, he
2: he had a distinct identity, like he had transitioned past that guy long enough ago because of his you know his extensive film career and his role as the President Twenty Four. But in in my mind, that slot where his name should have been was occupied by David Palmer, which was his name as the President on on Twenty Four. And I, I i couldn't I couldn't get past that. Like, no, what's his actual human name?
0: Mm. But you know
2: the the, the archetypal of that guy, for example, uh, was. Jack's uh, Jack's boss, the the district uh, supervisor, uh, who who he shot in the leg with a trank dart in the very first episode of season one <laughs> of twenty four.
0: Spoil that for me, gosh! I <laughs> yeah, he's the very my first episode is spoiled.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, Xander Berkeley is is that actor's name, and he's it, it, I I feel sorry for him because he he gets he, whenever you see him on screen, you know he's going to be some sleazy guy. I wrote about
1: Xander Berkeley in my last uh, article. Uh, Really? Yeah, yeah. I wrote about him as a great example of metacasting because every time Xander Berkeley shows up on screen, you know that there's a pretty good chance he's going to betray somebody or be really sleazy or underhanded. Right? Yes. His biggest role for me in that was when he played the uh, Secret Service agent in Air Force One. who, who turned out to be really sleazy. I mean, that's kind of a spoiler, I guess. But you see him on screen, and you know exactly what's going on. But anyway, yeah. I interrupted. But yeah, no, I wrote about Xander Berkeley and Sean Bean and metacasting in my uh, piece on uh, bringing um, Stringer Bell onto the office. That's right. Um, the, the,
2: Sean, the Sean Bean and Stringer Bell references, I remember. I remember that article. I just I, I didn't connect Xander Berkeley because I've, I've never seen Air Force one. Oh, you should should I, should I hand me. in my should I hand in my overthinking it card again? No, 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 no. Let, me, let me put it this way: Get off my
1: podcast! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good, but it's not that good. Hey.
0: Okay. Uh, any last, any thoughts, last on thoughts on ER or, or workplace dramas, hospitals, hospitals sickness?
2: Uh, I there was yeah, something about about House actually my. The the hey, I'm having a hard time putting the thoughts together. A uh, house, the the genre of sort of like bullying asshole lead character. You know who you know is stubborn and curmudgeonly, and uh, and you know nobody likes him, but he gets the he gets the job done. Uh, in fact, when uh ah, why am I having trouble with names today? The 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 actor. I think it's lupus. It, it must be lupus. The, the, I, I have lupus. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he would tell me it's not the, the British actor who plays House. Jesus, what is his name? Oh, the guy who plays House. The guy who plays House. Yes.
1: Oh, okay. I don't. I, you know, I feel surprised that I don't know that either. I should, off the top of my head, but I'm going to stall for a second or two and say his name is Hugh Laurie.
2: Hugh Laurie. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. thank you. It's it's kind of embarrassing that you know the the only people on the podcast are are the three uh, OTI writers who don't know who Hugh Laurie is instantly. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I was about to say Stephen Fry, which would make for a very different uh, sort of hospital <laughs> drama if, uh, if Stephen Fry were the, were the doctor. Anyway, Hugh Lauria had the anecdote that when he was initially auditioning for this show, he didn't think he was going to be the main character. Because, like, oh, I'm this gruff guy who's got a real bad attitude and has nothing nice to say to anyone and I'm crippled and, you know, I'm, I just sit in the back and be right all the time. I can't possibly be the main character. That guy is never the hero.
1: Oh, so he didn't oh. know that what the show was called? Or he just assumed that he would be a featured character the whole time?
2: Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know the rest of the details about okay. it, but that's, that's as I've heard. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he auditioned for it by tape, you know. He, or he oh. sent, sent in a tape initially and, you know, did a reading in, like, a hotel bathroom or something. And then he got there and was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm what now? Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah that's how, pretty but, much how I've got to be a writer on overthinking it. You know, I, I, I videotaped myself in my hotel bathroom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, expecting expect to be a commercially guy in a corner and then they get back to me and says, you're a blogger now what yeah. the like, blog they never make a guy a blogger that's crazy that's just, <laughs> at, at least okay. not in this country
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so and, farewell
0: and... ER uh, I yeah. hardly knew thee <laughs> and uh, you are now you know, replaced by some other hospital show which I'm not going to watch so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe they, really maybe they you bring Chicago it. Hope back yeah Chicago Hope that show was great was it a hospital show
1: yeah, it was if, the. It was set not, up as the a Er, it. No, I
0: will not watch it if you brought it back.
1: It was <laughs> the. It was the Dante's peak to ER's uh, uh, um, volcano. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, that's a metaphor, right? Yeah.
1: Chicago Hope was the one that was like. Was the one that was crazy. Like, Chicago Hope was the one where they were having crazy illnesses and crazy things were happening, and like the doctors were much more creative, and like the plot lines were a little bit more diverse and out there. And ER was like the gritty, realistic one. And then Chicago Hope went off the air after six years, you know, it ran for a while, and then promptly thereafter, ER became crazy. So, uh, and it had one of my favorite actors, uh, Hector Elizondo. Ah yes,
2: Hector Elizondo.
1: I yes. Yeah, he's he's. I primarily know him from my favorite sports movie ever, uh, a little film called Necessary Roughness that I know I've talked on about on the podcast, <laughs> which I just loved. It has some of the best spinning newspaper sequences ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> headline. Um, oh no, the big game is happening. Oh boy, so okay. Uh, so that's it for
0: us
1: (laughs) what Scott Bakula can't be a quarterback he's got a year of eligibility left
0: Sinbad
1: Sinbad Sinbad.
2: there's only one way we can do this Iron Man football
0: (laughs) that's crazy you can't possibly
1: ask them to play both ways that's ridiculous
0: so there was a different kind of pop culture milestone that passed this past week one that I guess I'm a little more tuned into um, and it was the 10th, is that correct? The 10th anniversary of the mm-hmm. release of the matrix, the, the matrix. matrix movie, the redefining sci-fi movie. Uh, we had a great article on it this week on the blog, uh, by our John Parrish uh, you should go back and check it out, but, uh, I wanted to use this time of the podcast so we can talk about and reminisce about what it was like, uh, in 1999, you're probably in high school and watching this movie that totally blew you away. Um, and, and how unfortunate I guess it is that, uh, that so much of that greatness was kind of undone by the sloppiness of the next two movies. So let me just take us, from, take us back for a moment. Let's go back to 1999. Where were you? High school?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah.
0: You're going into, you know, you've perhaps heard some amazing buzz about this movie. You go in, <laughs> you sit down in, in, in the theater. At least for me, I remember it was like a second-run theater, actually, so the smell of popcorn was heavy in the air. And I was introduced to this wonderful thing called Bullet Time. And uh, my life hasn't <laughs> been the same ever since. I've been dodging things in slow motion a lot since 1999. So that's 10 years of that. My back is getting kind of sore. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. <laughs>
1: you and Bill Bellamy in
2: Fastlane.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, my... Uh, my the, I, I saw it... Well, my first, my first impression of it was, uh, was, you know, watching the commercials for it. And I recall it wasn't very heavily promoted... Yeah, At the yeah, time, yeah. like it wasn't set up to be a, a summer blockbuster and it, and it was released, you know, in April, you know, 10 yeah, years yeah. ago this month. So not, not expecting to be big. And the the commercials uh, for it, if I can if I can give an anachronistic reference, uh, were similar to commercials. You know, I might have seen a couple of years ago for that. Uh, uh, Mia Jovovich, uh, uh, not well, equal ultraviolet, ultra-violet, ultra-violet. 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 <laughs>
0: ultra-violet yes, fine film, fine film.
2: Yeah, it it was just you know a couple shots of like weird, you know, un unconnected to each other bits of action and people speaking vaguely and hey Lawrence Fishburne I remember him and you know that was the only impression I got. But then you know there was this this gradual gradual buzz around it and you know I was I was fortunate in that uh either I wasn't connected enough to the internet or it was early enough that I somehow remained completely unspoiled on on most of the aspects of it until the first time I watched it which was uh, as a freshman in college uh on my laptop uh watching a copy that uh, I acquired completely legally, I do want to stress uh, and uh yeah just just watching it by myself on my on my laptop in my my gradually darkening dorm room and just being being amazed at uh, at the plot and the and the effects and the and the, re- and the remarkable level of storytelling, like the way it 's paced and the way they ratchet up the action and set these underdogs against this monolithic bureaucracy slash technocracy etc it was it was pretty pretty groundbreaking
0: absolutely it was a, that, was, it, that was a fantastic movie, but you know think about when is the last time <coughs> any, of you, any of you have actually seen it
2: Oh the actual
1: matrix yeah, the, the actual first matrix, matrix. Yeah. it 's yeah. been a long time you know a couple of years at least since i 've watched even a little bit of it on TV. Uh, although I've seen The Matrix Revolutions like four times in the past, like, you know, God help me, in the past couple of years. Uh. It's always on TV, um, which I maintain, that, sh- that movie is great as long as you cut out every scene that isn't a fight scene. Um, and actually, Sheely and I had a great plan. We were going to take that movie, cut out all the dialogue, and just present the, a- the uh, action set pieces as a ballet And we were going to, (laughs) like, we were going to put ballet music under it and, like, put up intertitles explaining, like, uh, Splash would come up and it would be like, Neo is going to go see the werewolf guide, find out, blah, 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 blah. And then you show, like, the dance. (laughs) you just, like, show it as a dance piece. (laughs) Um, Because I feel like the Matrix Revolutions work really well on that level. Uh, But no, I haven't seen the first Matrix in a long time.
0: Let me put it it this way. My kind of touchstone action pictures that I always go back to and blow me away are, surprise, surprise, Terminator and Terminator 2. Like, OK, I just I'll yeah. pop the DVD into those and just kind of, you know, watch scenes from them every once in a while and just sit yeah, back yeah. and think, think this is awesome. Yeah. Is anybody doing that with the Matrix anymore? Did I it- mean, I don't know. Not the first.
1: Well, the first, I don't think the first Matrix was really that good. I mean, it's good, but it's not like and it's it was an important cultural event and it had certain sort of breaking storytelling elements. But I mean, it was such an institution in terms of how we related to each other talking about it right it's yeah. almost like doctor strange love in that sense is that you don't sit at home and turn on scenes of doctor strange love and are like this is a great scene this is a great scene but if you're sitting in a bar and you're talking about movies um, that might come up. If it were to come up, you'd have a lot to talk about.
0: Doctor uh, Strange, I mean, or the Matrix, I guess both. Really. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, I don't. Know. My experience with the Matrix is a little bit different than the than yours, Mark. Where I didn't see it in the theater. Um, I watched it in Tim Brownell's basement, um, which was one of the last times that I got together with those friends of mine. To, it was the friends who were a year older than I was, and they were in college, and I was, I think, uh, near the end of high, graduating from high school or something like that. That summer after I graduated from high school. And um, the my main idea, thing that I thought was really awesome about The Matrix was the music, right? I thought the music in The Matrix was awesome. Um, mm, that sort of, yeah. that sort of rough, soundtrack. hard techno sound and like the style of it, right? And that's what I remember about The Matrix that was really culturally impacting, much more so than it as a piece of science fiction. And maybe it's because I'm a sci-fi junkie or have been and especially was at that point in my life who had stayed up late at night watching all manner of stuff. I didn't find the plot particularly innovative um because i would seen stuff like it before starring billy d williams from like the early 80s or something like that <laughs> you know like which was terrible but like you know it had it had 90 seconds of nudity in it or something
0: oh you're not uh, referring not, to not the not empire billy strikes back well no i'm not referring <laughs> to the empire strikes back that is the ability to movie from the early 80s would bend back the empire strikes back
1: no i think the movie that i'm actually talking about if you'll give me just a second to bring it up i'm bringing it up on the computer um, it was a movie that I watched. It was about a bunch of guys who were in cryostasis um, while they were traveling um, uh, over in space. And while they were in cryostasis, they were hooked up to experience machines um, that were allowing them to live in their fantasy worlds. Um, and it had Tracy Scoggins, who uh, I think that's her name, who was in both Highlander the series and Babylon 5 of the fifth season, or the season of crap. Um, I think it was called Alien Intruder. That's right. It was nice. from 1993, and basically, this this alien intelligence, who is this sexy woman, starts invading the experience machine and like seducing these men in their dreams. And they and they get up and they start fighting each other over the spaceship. So, um, you know, I and mean, I did get her name right, and uh, it was Tracy Scoggins. So, like, I'd seen a bunch of movies that involved people in simulated, either idyllic or pseudo idyllic worlds that turned out to be. Less than what was imagined. By the way, Alien Intruder has an IMDb rating of 3.1 out of 10. So you know it's quality.
0: (laughs) It's it's better Um, than thousands of movies, other movies on IMDb.
1: That's very true. That's true. It only has 274 votes. Um, but at any rate, like, I didn't Is find a- the sci-fi, I didn't find the philosophy of it particularly interesting, but I did love the music, and I did love the style, and I think that's why it crossed over into the mainstream, and especially why it wasn't popular in the... It, was, it made some money, but it wasn't as popular in the movie theater as it was afterwards. That was really when it caught on, I think. And, true. and this, why it was a while until the sequels came out.
2: This was also right around the time that, that DVD started taking over as a, as a home-viewing format.
0: If you yes, recall, like, well, that was a like, yeah, DVD to have. Yeah,
2: 1999 to 2000, and this, yeah, this this was this was an essential, yeah, like you said, an essential DVD. Uh, I mean, that's
1: something. There's something metacultural about that too, right?
2: Oh yeah, and and that, yeah. And about
1: how, like, yeah, we're hooking into this new electronic reality, right? We're we're uh, hooked up into this high-tech movies that we can watch in high quality now. You know, the machines are getting better and better, and here's the Matrix, which is guilty of glorifying the world that it criminalizes. This world of electronically created bliss, right? Which is supposedly false and undesirable. And the Matrix tells us that we want to live in a gritty, dystopian, dreary world that doesn't have cool, awesome special effects, but at the same time like shows us, oh man, these cool special effects are awesome. So um
0: Yeah, that, that's that kind that of is... how I feel like walking around in gentrified New York City. Mm. No. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, exactly back that's, like, to yeah. like walking around in <laughs> gentrified New York City.
1: <laughs> Going to a restaurant with pictures of gangsters on the walls and fedoras that where you buy a ham sandwich for fifteen dollars, <laughs> being like, "Man, I love the gritty Gotham experience." I know
0: it's like, man, I, I, miss, <laughs> I miss New York. We know when, when you know when crack was king. You know. Exactly. Oh,
1: I wish I were here when the crack dealers lived in the street. <laughs> that would have been <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> no, you don't. No, no you no. don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you really don't want to live in the shitty world. You want to be in the awesome world of the Matrix, where you get to jump over things and like do bullet time and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. you don't want reality, you want fantasy. That's why you're watching a movie.
0: You know, it's it's funny that a lot of the going back to the you know, the you mentioned the philosophy that a lot of the the comments thread was, you know. Presenting different theories of the philosophy of the movies and all that kind of thing, mm. um, but that's none of that really stuck with me. Maybe it's just because I'm a simpleton, um, mm. you know, a no, no, it, simple um, And the only thing not- that really stuck with me was just the massive amounts of slow motion. Um, and I guess you know, my sense at least is that that movie was was was, if not groundbreaking, then transcending in that regard. And that oh, yeah. really stick, That's what really sticks sticks out to the Matrix in my mind still these days. Well, I mean, it
2: really—it it really did create the the renaissance of of wire work uh, and this and that mm-hmm. sort of Hong Kong style of of, of Wu influenced uh, uh, martial arts action, which you know has has since taken over and been kind of run into the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was the it was the Wachowski brothers' conscious choice to recruit uh, Yin Wuping, uh, who wasn't very well known in the West at that point as the action choreographer because that was the sort of vision they they wanted to create and and that was you know revolutionary to a Western audience.
1: So it's also, so it also meta cinematic in terms of like globalization and bringing together the different uh, cultural elements from movies that were made in different areas, right? And it's sort of like the pre Kill Bill. In, um, indeed, yeah. although
2: I, I I'd go one further and say that. But also very typical of metaculturalization the the American version is is very glossy and and not quite as not quite as tasty
1: that's true that's true there's less there's less art and composition of the fight scenes, especially in the first movie
2: American um, Chinese food is different from chinese chinese food as as yeah. has been said
1: like if you ever watch Jet Li movies that are made for American audiences versus Jet Li movies that are made for Chinese audiences. I hate how in the American ones they always zoom in and cut really tight on the fight sequences, so you mm-hmm. never actually yeah. see what's going on. Whereas in the Chinese ones, they, they spread it out, and he's like dancing on people's heads, and it's really awesome, and you can yeah. see the sort of grace and movement of it. Um, you know, it's all <laughs> yeah. Steven Seagal yeah. st- style of martial arts where like you focus on the guy's face, and you hear a breaking sound, and he sort of grunts, and then the martial arts is over, and you didn't get to see yeah. any. Of it. They do the same
0: they, thing. With Kim Jong-il's martial arts <laughs> movies. And, you know, the translation of the American they do. movies compared to the North we never Korean get to movies. S- we never get to see him unleash those awesome moves. No, we
2: don't. Although, yeah. uh, oh,
1: it is it is a far cry from the Dolomite style of shooting these things, which is like, you know, the stop motion where the guy goes to kick a guy and then you hear smack, and then the camera cuts to a different angle and the guy falls over. Speaking of
2: speaking of uh, Jet Li, though, uh, uh, Pete, your, your comment from earlier about... Uh, Cutting a movie together, or cutting a version of *The Matrix* that was only in the fight scenes, uh, prompted me to to go to my my DVD shelf and, and double check something. And uh, the the Jet Li film *Black Mask*, which was huh? pre his his fame in the U.S. and was was Hong Kong produced, and is is very typical of the style and is is Yuen Ping choreographed. Uh, I got that on DVD a couple of years ago, and uh, one of the special features on it. Uh, is literally just a a section you can go to that will literally just play every fight scene it will oh. it will completely <laughs> skip any plot elements it just like has, <laughs> nice. has them in a row and you can just menu down one after the other and just and just watch you know this this ninety minute movie in about thirty minutes
1: oh wow that's great that sounds
2: really it is awesome. it really is movies. I wish more movies did that yeah. mm- mm
1: now, is black mask. I'm looking at the the Wikipedia page for it right now, and I'm seeing the movie. The poster is a very iconic picture of Jet Li, where he's doing that thing where he's straddling a hallway and he's kicking yes, the both sides yes, of the hallway. Yes. Is this that's the movie cool. that sort of introduced that trope? Because I think he does that in a bunch of other movies too, or at least that image for me is very associated with him.
0: I
2: think technically, Time Cop introduced that trope. Uh, <laughs> you mean with with,
1: the, <laughs> with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme? I think that's Bloodsport, right? When he's doing the splits and he's uh, warming up on top of the building. Um, um, when he's doing, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah.
2: technically you're right. Yeah, it is, it is, it is Bloodsport. I, I apologize, Monsieur Van Dam. It's <laughs> <That's> okay. Um,
1: <laughs> in Time Cop, he's in the kitchen in his underpants and he jumps on top and he does the splits while the guys are shooting at him. Um, yeah. but in, in Bloodsport, he's mourning the loss of his friend and he's preparing for battle. So, while doing the splits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> while while <laughs> stretching out his groin area. <laughs>
0: hey, you know what I want to talk, going back to the Matrix, what I want to talk about a little bit is bullet time. Okay, Mm -hmm. yes. Specifically because, now, bullet time, correct me if I'm wrong, did it really exist before the Matrix? Or was that essentially the introduction of that? The sense of, you know, you see the bullets, uh, and then, you know, the characters can react to those in slower than actual time.
1: Well, the precursor to bullet time is probably the arrow cam. That was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and which was which was revisited and turned into a gunplay trope in the little-known but wonderful uh, Western movie Posse, which stars Tom Loke <laughs> as a cowboy, I believe, right? Um, where they follow the bullets that they shoot, right? Except from there, it was all POV. It was all like the point of view of the arrow or the bullet, and they had to slow it down necessarily because you would not you would not see anything if the camera were traveling as fast as an arrow or a bullet. So you have this sort of um, necessity is the mother of invention that. Creates um, the moment of anticipation when it's about to strike the person.
2: Didn't they also do that a couple times in uh, the the Sam Raimi Western, uh, The Quick and the Dead?
1: Probably, I, probably, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think I think there's at least one one or two times in in the the gunfights or the yeah the gunfight duels that take place there where you know it's you know intense hyper zoom from point of view of gun to point of view of target's forehead and then cut away.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. I, the but minute, actually, I think, the only reason why I really wanted to. To bring up bullet time because I wanted to talk about Max Payne.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> what kind of the... I
0: thought the the movie movie or you or the wanted video to talk game? about the video. I games, I the video to talk
1: about iVision. You wanted to talk about iVision and the 2001 Super Bowl, um, where <laughs> CBS did that thing where they took still photographs of of plays and then spun it all the way around. Oh yeah, I
0: remember that. But anyway, too. talk
1: yeah. about Max Payne.
0: Uh, did you see that movie
1: or you I just never saw, to talk I never the saw the
0: movie, movie but um, but in, in terms of you know the game, clearly you know that's. The, bullet time was a, is a big feature of, of playing Max Payne, and, and obviously yeah. it, was, it was taking a lot from the Matrix. Um, but when he thought about it, it like, the mechanics of, of bullet time became kind of silly when you realized that what you were doing with the character was that um, you were shooting sideways, and that's kind of what you do in bullet time yeah. things. But in reality, when you look at it in real time, and this this did happen occasionally in the game, is it was basically the guy was just like jumping and flopping to the ground. Just, just <laughs> bump, bump. <laughs> Flopping to the yep. ground, and the reason why you get to see this is because in, in other when you get later in the, enough in the game, other enemies start shoot dodging you. The idea is that if you're in bullet time and shoot dodging, you know you're kind of shoot dodging past each other, yeah. And that looks totally awesome, except yeah. when you're not in bullet time and they just flop <laughs> to the ground shooting at you. It's like, why are they doing that? That doesn't no, I- really work. <laughs>
1: I would like to briefly refer people to my uh, entry from a, a while ago called Jack Slate and Shadow Rule the Box Office, where I talk about the history of bullet time in the context of the uh, the Max Payne movie, right? And I talk right, about right. Dead to Rights, where there was a dog, which is another bullet time property. And I talk about the John <laughs> Woo video game Stranglehold, um, where they, right. they do like sort of Tony Hawk bullet time action sequences where you get style points. Um, so, yeah, if you want to read a little bit about that stuff, there's an old entry about that, um, but yeah i don't think there's anything particularly compelling although although i do always point out fast lane as like the sort of for me the height of bullet time decadence um, which is that show with bill bellamy and tiffany amber Thiessen where they're like narcotics agents who seize all the assets of the drug dealers in like miami or something and so they like drive around in lamborghinis and like they like it was really fancy because they would text message each other and at the time that was it's crazy. They're text messaging. <laughs> um, like they would do sequences. There's whole episodes where like text messages would appear on the bottom of the screen while they were sending them back and forth while they were in bullet time chase sequences and gun battles in uh, crazy Lamborghinis. Um, so, uh, Pete, and yet, that's sh- twice in this podcast
2: you've referenced fast lane.
1: That's well. I wanted to bring it up again. I guess I, I probably shouldn't.
2: It's no, no, probably- no. I'm 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 just saying I'm, we're just we're just keeping score. Okay. Good. Good. Fast lane <laughs> two.
0: So Doogie <laughs> Hauser. like five.
2: <laughs> so, so obviously,
0: you know, we go back to bullet time, you know, what yeah. bullet time essentially is the super slow motion that happens <laughs> to be tracking a bullet, right? Would you categorize things like, I'm thinking of a specific scene in the Wolverine, the trailer to the new Wolverine movie, yeah, where in super slow motion it shows him flying off of the bike and latching onto the helicopter. Now, putting aside from the moment just how completely ridiculous and over the top of that looks, mm-hmm. um, I mean, is that a close cousin to bullet time, essentially?
1: Well, here's what I'd say. I'd say it's, it's wrong to say that bullet time tracks bullets because historically bullet time tracks people who are shooting or being shot by bullets. And I would also say that one of the characteristics of bullet time is not only does it go into slow motion, but you get ro- a lot of rotating crane-style shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that you don't have a lot of those kinds of shots – prior to the matrix is that you have uh, computer imagery makes them a lot easier because it's, right, it's, because it's really hard better. to do a rotating slow motion crane shot of somebody falling down with an actual camera. So it's better to do it as a composite of a lot of different angles and you have to have a lot of technology involved. So uh-huh. I would say any shot where you go into slow motion and do a rotating crane shot or a rotating crane style shot around somebody could qualify as bullet time, I think, especially if you're slowing down an event that's normally too fast to see. Um, but you mean if he's just jumping and the camera's moving and it goes into slow motion and he, like, digs his claw in and stuff? Is that bullet time? Um, I don't know. I, I've seen that shot. I think that it's it's influenced by it, but it seems a little bit post-bullet time because there also doesn't seem to be anything really extraordinary about it. Okay, so
0: and, the, the, you have you a good, good good term there, post-bullet time. So would you right, put, right. say, Zack Snyder? Is he is he post-bullet time? Zack Snyder? Yeah. 300 and The Watchman. Oh,
1: okay, okay. You know, for some reason, I confused him with Zach Braff in my head for a second, and I was like, why, why would the guy from Scrubs go into bullet time? Was Garden State very different from what I heard? Um, no, no, 300 is like very, very influenced by bullet time, obviously, but it, it's also stylistically that's different. They do different things with the slow motion, right? right. Um, it, I would definitely say that Zack Snyder's film style is is post-bullet time. Um, the sort of style, I, and also you lose this sort of chic um, like hyper tech feel to it. Um, and it almost becomes more of a like, he combines elements of sort of sports, right? um like like one of like the rundown for example has some great sequences and the great great opening sequence where the rock goes into a nightclub and beats up a bunch of dudes and yeah. when he picks up a guy to smash him it'll briefly go into slow motion and they'll sort of show what the injury was and it's very feels very bullet timey because it's giving you a lot of information that is available to you because of advanced technology like x-rays and stuff and like things are flying in, in, on screen and stuff like that but we also recognize that he's doing it to football players and football players often hit each other in slow motion, right? So um, I think that, like, there's something that's Matrix about 300, but there's also something that's very NFL films about 300, <laughs> uh, where it's like warriors in slow motion, and it's very proud of itself. I
2: don't know. What yeah. do you think, John? Uh, I, hmm. well, I mean, the, the, the term bullet time itself seems to have, I mean, it, it seems to specifically mean if, if it specifically means anything, I always thought it meant like you know the the practice of you know setting up this this series of still cameras around what's being shot like you know in three hundred and sixty degree or near to three hundred and sixty obviously can't do it really or the cameras would be shooting each other and you know shooting the same scene from multiple angles and then composing those together, which I think is it's been a while since I watched the special features on the matrix but is is similar to what they did for the bullet time shots like for you know that that iconic shot of Trinity hovering in the air right before she kicks a guy and, like, totally kills him uh, early on, um, I think that's how they did it. But, you know, they put her in front of a yeah. green screen, surround her with, like, 30 cameras on one side and, you know, shot it from a bunch of different angles, 30 cameras on the other side, move the green screen, and then, you know, loop those all together. Uh, <clears throat> and you don't see that as much anymore because, obviously, anyone doing that would, would only be deriving from the Matrix. So I guess it's I- a question... I, I guess what really is bullet time, aside from the specific cinema, cinematographical techniques used to capture a particular scene, like well, like what if it's if it's not just lining up cameras in a circle and overlaying still images together, what is bullet time other than just slow mo? Is the question? But
1: I think is. that the, what it says is that the, it's, uh, to compare it to the Matrix, also, it's that we live in, in multiple realities. And bullet time is an alternative reality. It's an alternative dimension for experiencing the world, Mm -hmm. right? And the idea that bullet time exists in parallel to our own time, and we can enter into the experience of things like bullets, which behave, it's almost like quantum mechanics, right? Where quantum Mm -hmm. physics, where very small particles behave in a very different way observationally than larger particles or larger masses, Um, that that there's this idea that there's a a world that's, that's right next to ours, and that we could just, if we could just slow down our heartbeat and really focus. In on it, we could experience it, and sometimes in moments of great, um, you know, personal focus and 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 uh, physical and mental exertion, we can get to that transcendent space where we understand what it's
2: like for bullets to hit each other. Okay, um, that, you know that is I mean? that's that's a that's a good way to lay it out, and and that that in my mind distinguishes it from you know slow mo as used stylistically, like say mm-hmm. in, in Desperado, Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek walking away from an exploding building versus yeah, yeah. slow mo that's used informationally like you know gently kicking the guy in the top of the head and then like say x-ray shot of the inside of the guy's head and like his spine slightly compressing as his skull gets fractured etc yeah which happens in in romeo must die for instance
1: right 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 which is a wonderful movie oh it's a lot yeah yeah definitely um and it's also a spoiler um (laughs) no, I was saying Romeo must die is oh, a, oh, a great movie. It's also a spoiler for, for <laughs> Romeo and Spoiler King. alert title <laughs> <of this. laughs>
0: oh, oh man. I'll, I want to ask one last question about the Matrix, uh and that's about uh Whoa, Keanu. When did he become a joke? When did Keanu become a joke? When did Keanu become a joke?
1: Was he ever not a joke? yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean he, bill and ted's excellent adventure he was it was pretty much a joke um yeah. well let's take a look let's take a brief brief walk through the life and times of keanu reeves
2: <laughs> all right <I'm laughs> opening a up years his- ago, reading a a profile uh reading like the back of people magazine or something and it was just like throwaway quotes by celebrities and uh this must have been like 95 or 96 or something and and it it actually had you know I think when all is said and done, I'll be remembered the most for uh, playing Bill, quote, Keanu Reeves. I uh, was the guy who said <laughs> that. And this was, of course, you know, years before The Matrix. So if only he'd known. Yeah. Prophetically. Oh, man.
1: Well, he played Ted. Keanu Reeves played
2: Ted, not Bill. Should, should I Should I hand in my overthinking at card? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I mean, no. That's, no, no. That's, that's my third strike of the evening, really. <laughs> 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 I haven't seen Air Force One. I've, I've never seen Buffy. And I, I got—I I forget which one is Bill and which is Ted. I, uh, well,
1: okay. So Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was 1989, and Bill and yeah. Ted's Excellent Adventure was kind of capitalizing a little bit on the Wayne's World motif, right? Because uh, I remember very specifically at the time, people were like, "Oh, this Bill and Ted thing—they're just ripping off Wayne's World. These like slackers who are uh, who nice. are comedic and stuff like that." Point Break was in 19. Let's see. Give me just a second. 1991, which was the same year that Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out, and Point Break is absolutely freaking ridiculous, right? And it's him and Fitzpatrick right. Swayze, and it's a movie that you can't really take seriously. I mean, the guy's name is John Johnny Utah, <laughs> you know, like like, and he does all the Nixon masks and stuff like that. And then you know what? You know what I think it is? I think he really becomes a joke um, after his 1993 turn in, in uh, Much Ado About Nothing as Don John. Do you remember that? Um because do you remember I really he was – yeah, he, he played Don John the Bastard in the Kenneth Branagh version of Much do About Nothing, which is a wonderful mm-hmm. movie. And he doesn't do a bad job. I mean, but it's, it's like, wow, Keanu Reeves is in this movie? Like, really? <laughs> um, and, and it's like, man, that's really silly because it's Denzel Washington and Emma Thompson and all these other people. Robert Sean Leonard is in it, uh, who's from House. So that's bringing that full circle and went to my mm-hmm. high school, which is also awesome. Um, but if you look at what he does – Uh, Most of the stuff after – most of the stuff before um, much About Nothing, there's a combination of like TV movies that are pretty serious and like I remember watching one on alcoholism with him and Annie Griffith. Um, A bunch of stuff where he plays like a young rebel. Uh, Not a lot of really self-aware ridiculousness. um, But then after that, you get like – Then you get Speed, right, which is in 1994, where I think he really hits his note, right? It's like Keanu Reeves establishes who he is for everybody. He's like – in Speed, he is is totally awesome and makes no apologies for who he is, right? But then after that, you go back and forth between movies like Johnny Mnemonic and Chain Reaction and the Matrix sequels, Constantine, you know, where – and The Watcher. You know, where, where, like, things are really kind of silly. Um, the replacements, even. Where he, he's not, he's a person who exists in, in a sense that you can't take him seriously. Because he's kind of stupid and he's not paying attention. And then other movies that are, like, either over the top in terms of being romantic comedies or, or otherwise. Um, like The Lake House and stuff. Where still, you can't take him seriously. Alright, I, I don't know. For I guess, that one, you could sort I guess of...
0: over that one brief moment, though, in The Matrix...
1: Yeah, Um. I'm basically saying like people – Keanu Reeves ascends as a sort of young actor and then he becomes an adult and then he tries to break through into sort of serious film and people don't buy it, right? And so he basically then says, "Okay, I'll make the awesomest action movie ever about two or three times and they're like awesome that's great and then every other movie he makes he sort of rides off of this meta conception of what it means to have been this actor who played these stupid young guys and still has that element to his characterization right like Keanu Reeves is kind of like a Seth Rogen kind of figure when you get right down to it because wow. there's something that's every mannish about him because he lacks an essential quality that we really like to see in a hero um, which in this case is like general awareness of the world around you and intelligence <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with Seth Rogen, it's like physical fitness. Uh, (laughs) But he's got all the other characteristics that you need to to have to have a hero, right? Except Keanu Reeves is just a little bit off in the head, it seems.
0: To get back to to the the, 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 the reason... That was one of the reasons why his character worked in The Matrix, because he was supposed to be kind of an everyman, an unexpected hero, right? He's just like a a slacker. And he also...
2: He also really didn't know how the world worked, so I think that yeah. was that was really appropriate. Like he yeah. he could he could very easily p- play confused at everything he sees.
1: Yeah, he's in a lot of movies where he is either uh, doesn't know the rules of the world he exists in, or where like the rules of the world he exists in are totally crazy, and he's trying to deal with it. Um, even the replacements is like that, where he's like shoved into this world that's like beyond his conception, right? um you know, or in
2: point or in point break where he where he learns you know just what it takes to 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 make it as a surfer and that is putting on dead president masks and robbing banks
1: yeah yeah or like even in uh the gritty <laughs> or even in something's gotta give where it's all about jack nicholson having sex with uh Di- with uh diane keaton which is just this crazy dystopian future that none of us want <laughs>
0: <laughs> no one's prepared for that <laughs> So. Wow. Okay, we should uh we should wrap it up. I think we're about hitting the one hour mark. But uh, one last word on Keanu Reeves is that you know, thank you, Keanu Reeves, because now we all know Kung Fu in some way. <laughs> I yeah. think Keanu Reeves is awesome and a great actor, and he's laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> That's
2: what I'm gonna say <laughs> okay. <it> right now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Um actually one last thing before we go. Do we have a prediction for tomorrow night's I guess when you're hearing this, uh, tonight's NCAA uh basketball championship? Michigan State and North Carolina, who's going to be? Pete Penzel.
1: I'm going to say Michigan State because the last few times we've seen a sports team from a town that was really in the crapper uh, try to redeem its town by winning a championship, it's come up short. So there's going to be a lot of montages, but in the end, it's not going to win. <laughs> so because Detroit is still kind of not in very good shape, and Michigan is still not in very good shape, and it would be too easy if it were to be redeemed this this simply.
2: Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say North Carolina because I believe going in there, the favorite, and and really, I think as a culture we're we're tiring of the underdog story like this, this is not a year for underdogs. This is a year for this is a year for where, where America craves reliability, solid, dependable industry powerhouses, you know, constantly producing car after car or mortgage after mortgage or in this case, you know, win after win. And I, I think I think that's going to translate to North Carolina uh, taking it all.
1: I love how John and I John think that this is like, going to be written. That, like, we want this to be... A- <laughs> like, the outcome is going to be determined by, like, writers who are going to determine the best storyline. Yeah. Well, it, but, yeah. it is
2: college basketball, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's it's inherently pretty crooked. Yeah, that's true, that's true. There'll be a lot of shaping going on. Yeah. And not just of soul patches.
0: To, to break the overthinking at uh, panel tie, uh, to revert to my <laughs> previous method of predicting the future is alphabetical order. I'm going to have to go with M from Michigan State. So, oh, man. Uh, we'll see how um, you know our effort at subjecting the basketball to level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve turned out. Um, let us know in the comments what you thought. Um, other quick announcements before we wrap up the show. Don't, don't forget if you want to let us know what you thought about this show or life in general or Keanu Reeves or all these other things, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit dot com. You can call and leave a voicemail at twenty eight log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five Six four zero one. If as long as you don't swear and say inappropriate things, we will play the, the message on, back on the podcast. I got to work on that. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Family <laughs> show, guys. Family show. We all have. We we all been. We've all been guilty of that from time yeah, to time. Yeah, we're all we're all pretty. Um, so uh, so uh, overthinking. your panelists uh, get that soap out. Start scrubbing away. While you're scrubbing, don't forget also, listeners, rate the podcast on iTunes, let people know about it. Take the survey on our website. Um, Please take the survey. Please take the survey. Forward it to all your friends, because if you don't, your crush is not going to like you, and bad things will happen to you. And lastly, but most importantly, please visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't deserve.
1: deserve.
0: (sighs) Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> whoa. Let, let me hear you, your best piano, whoa. Do-do. Whoa. <laughs> That's too much fun. Oh god. I okay, foo?
1: Whoa!
0: <laughs> oh wait, that
2: was Joey Lawrence. I'm going to learn jujitsu.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm recording all this by the way.